Jesus, you said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Lord, we thank you for, for Tony. We thank you for Tabanya for their leadership with our kids' ministry. And we thank you for many, many gospel partners who serve and lead each week. Lord, we do pray specifically for five workers who would lead a small group twice a month to make room for children, that we might help parents disciple their children. Lord, it's been a tough week for so many, and so we are here today because we need you. You know our needs, and we pray that you would meet our needs. As we open up your word together today, forgive the one who speaks for a sins are many and Holy Spirit teach us. We pray that as your word is preached that, that we would see lost people one to you and believers built and workers equipped and disciple makers multiplied. Lord, we pray for revival. Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? You are our hope. We need you. Revive your church here and around our nation. And we pray for a great spiritual awakening that people would recognize their need of you and run to you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I made a mistake a couple years ago. I, I was talking at a service, and I said, uh, my favorite wedding was. And I've been here a long time, and I've done a lot of weddings. And after the service, all these people came up to me and said, well, what about our wedding? What about our wedding? And so I've learned, and now what I'll say is one of my favorite weddings. I'm kind of like that with the Bible, too. If you said, Smiley, what is your favorite chapter in the Bible? It would kind of be like the one I read last. But this week, those of us who were reading through 1 Corinthians, we read chapter 15, didn't we? And this has got to be one of my favorite chapters. It's so hope-filled. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, I read, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. I read about a dead man who got up and walked out of the tomb, and that event changes everything. It brings hope to every person, to every situation. Wow, I love that. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. He's risen. He's risen. Isn't that a game changer? Um, have you noticed we live in a hopeless time? Uh, have you noticed that, that we live in a hopeless time? I have never seen America so dark, so discouraged, so angry, so divided, so hopeless. And you say, well, that's bad. And I say, no, that's good. That's good. That's why we're here. We're here to offer hope to a hopeless culture. That's why we're here. We're hope dealers, aren't you? Aren't we? And you know what we're offering people? You know what we're peddling? We're peddling hopium. <laughs> That's what we're doing. We're peddling hopium because once you've tasted it, you've got to share it with everyone, don't you? You've got to try this. It's amazing. It's hopium. So... The point of today's message is always be ready to share your hope. Man, I tell you, when you're intoxicated on hopium, you want to share that hopium with everyone you meet. 
And couldn't we say living in our culture today, wouldn't it be true, if we live in our culture today and we overflow with hope, wouldn't we stand out? Wouldn't we? In our office, on our street, in our conversations, if we were overflowing with hope, wouldn't we stand out for the right reason? So I want to fill you with hope today, and then I want to send you out as hope dealers, okay? I want you to send you out to offer hopium to the people around you. If you would turn in your Bible to 1 Peter 3, and I want to encourage you, start bringing your Bible. We're trying in this series to equip you to follow Jesus in an increasingly hostile culture and to equip you. I think it's really important that you learn how to work with your Bible, okay? And every week, what I would encourage you to do is open it up like to 1 Peter 3 and just leave it there. I'm going to go all over the place. You probably won't keep up with me, but leave it there, okay? Now, We're going through this series because we're seeking to equip you to follow Jesus in an increasingly hostile culture. Peter is writing this letter to Christians who are persecuted minority in a hostile culture. 1 Peter 3, verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Peter says, if we're living as Christians in an increasingly hostile culture, life will generally go better when we're zealous for good deeds. Life will generally go better in our lives in a hostile culture when we're zealous for good deeds. So Peter's taught us how to do that. He said, here's how you follow Jesus in your country. Be good citizens. And then he taught us, here's how you follow Jesus in the workplace. You're good workers. And then last week he taught us, here's how you follow Jesus in your home. You love one another. And here's how you follow Jesus in the church. You love one another. And now he's saying, listen, life will generally go better for you in a hostile culture if you're zealous for what is good. But, and this is a bad but, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. He says, but don't be surprised when you suffer for doing what's right. Sometimes in a broken world, in a hostile culture, you will suffer for doing what is right. Didn't Jesus? Didn't Jesus suffer for doing what is right? And if he did, we shouldn't be surprised when it happens to us too. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Now, see how this is in capital letters? Now, I want you to know, people ask me, what translation do I read from? I read from the New American Standard. Well, why? Well, one reason, I've memorized a lot of verses in it, so I like it. Another reason is I really like in the New American Standard the pronouns for God and Jesus, they're capital, so I know when it's talking about Jesus and when it's talking about us. And another thing is in the New American Standard, when something is quoted from the Old Testament, it's put in capital letters. Peter's not screaming at you with the capital letters. He's saying this is from the Old Testament, so this comes from Isaiah chapter 8. And Peter is saying when you're living in a hostile culture, Do not fear their intimidation, the intimidation of your culture, and do not be troubled. And doesn't that sound, doesn't that sound like what Jesus said? Remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12. In Luke 12, verse 4, I say to you, my, what? Friends. What would enable us to to endure the, the hate of our culture? What would give us the strength that we would be willing to be hated by our culture? Wouldn't it be to know that Jesus calls us friends? Jesus calls me friend. 
Jesus calls you friend. When we're blown away that we are friends with Jesus, we're willing to be hated by our culture. Listen to what he says. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. Don't worry about those who can just kill the body, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, the Bible says we have a choice in our culture if we're going to follow him. We can either fear God or we can fear man. Which one are you going to fear? Now, I've got another question for you. Um, who, who puts Christians to death? Who does that? The civil government does, right? Our neighbors might laugh at us, right? But the greatest persecutor of the church throughout history and in the world today is the civil government. So we need to think through this, right? Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body. Yes, that's painful, but it's over. And then you have all of eternity with me in heaven. But the one that we ought to fear, the one we ought to fear is the one who not only kills the body, but casts us into hell forever. That's what Peter is saying, because Christians were being put to death. That's why he said, do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. You love Jesus yourself. Fill yourself up with hopium. Love Jesus. Treasure Jesus. Enjoy Jesus. Let his thoughts fill your mind. Let him stir your emotions. Let him move your will. You fill up with Christ. And then he says, always being ready to make a defense. To everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Listen, always, always be ready to share your hope. As you fill up with hope, offer that hope to others. Notice what he says, always being ready to make a defense. See the word defense there? The Greek word for that is apologia, from which we get apologetics. And <laughs> apologetics is not the science of apologizing. It's not what you learn as a husband, how important it is that you apologize to your wife. It's not apology. It's apologetics, which is the defense of our faith. Be ready. Be ready to defend your faith. When people ask you, why do you go to church? Why do you give money away? Why are you a good worker? Why are you filled with hope? Be ready. Always being ready to make a defense. To everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you were slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Peter is saying we are going to be accused of all kinds of terrible things in our culture called names, and the best way to silence the critics is through our behavior. Some of you were with us last week. I read from chapter or verse 1 rather unpopular words. Remember what I read? It was wives be submissive to your own husbands. I know that's not popular. I know that I'll be called a hater. I know I'll be called a misogynist. So you know what I do? I seek the help of Jesus to treat the women in my life with respect so that when people accuse me of things, they'll say, that doesn't match the way he lives. 
But what we're going to focus on is verse 15. So that we'll always be ready to share your hope. Notice, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you. So the first question I want us to ask is, what is our hope? And then the second is, how can we always be ready to share that hope? So let's start with what is our hope. And I want to show you, it says the hope that is what? It's in you. The hope is not outside of us. The hope is in you. So, so let me take you to a verse that helps explain that. In Colossians chapter 1, Verse 27, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of the, this mystery among the Gentiles. See the word mystery. A mystery in the Bible is not something dark and mysterious that only seminary graduates can understand. A mystery in the Bible is something that once was hidden from everyone, but once God reveals it, he reveals it to everyone. And what is the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory? Oh, Paul just goes, he, he's, he's out of his mind. He's so excited. I want you to know what it's all about. It's about Christ in you. That's the hope, the hope of glory. What is our hope? It's Christ in you. Notice the word hope here. Little English lesson. Is that a noun or a verb? Which is it? it it's a what? Have some confidence. It's what? Uh, a noun. Have you noticed our culture uses noun primarily, or uses hope primarily as a verb, right? Football season's about to start. I hope the Gators win all their games. That's what it's wishful thinking, right? Uh, or, or I hope it doesn't rain today. But in the Bible, hope is primarily a noun. It's something that's certain. Listen, hope here is a noun. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And what is hope? Here's the best definition ever. Hope is the joyful expectancy that the best is yet to come. Hope is the joyful expectancy that the best is yet to come. When Jesus moves into the hearts of his people, his people are to live with the joyful expectancy that the best is yet to come. So, how does the hope get in us? Isn't that the gospel, how the hope gets in us? Oh, remember how I started by reading 1 Corinthians 15? Let, let's go back to, here's the gospel. <clears throat> for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for, what? Our sins. Could we all agree that the world is broken? Could we agree with that? I think everybody in our culture would agree that our world is broken, Okay. But notice the word sin. What is sin? It's not just isolated acts. It's our condition. Do you know what sin is? It's, self, it's being self-deluded. We are all self-delusional. And you say, what? Listen, sin is that we imagine we are good people in a bad world. Each of us imagines that we are honest people living in a dishonest world. Listen, we are all flawed, especially me. We are all sinners, especially me. Every one of us has sinned against God over and over again. We're in huge trouble, and we can't save ourselves. And if we think we can, we're self-deluded. That's what sin is. Um, but here's the good news. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. 
Did you know the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is one story about a seeking and saving Savior? So it's about Jesus, God the Son, who put on flesh and, and came to earth and, and he lived a perfect life for us and then he died on, died on the cross for our sins. He had no sins, so he took our sins on himself and he died in our place and he cried out from the cross, paid in full. He really did die. You see that? He was buried. He died for our sins. He was buried, and then he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. On the third day, Jesus walked out of the tomb proving he had conquered sin and death. His resurrection means we really can be forgiven. We really can live forever. His resurrection changed everything. And when Jesus rose from the grave, he offers us eternal life. He offers us forgiveness for our sins. That's in the past. He offers us the opportunity to do life with Jesus now and the opportunity to do life with him forever. That's what eternal life is. And how do we get eternal life? By inviting Christ to live in us as our Savior and Lord. Have you? Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will die with him and he with me. There was a day when I admitted to Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I told him, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I committed my life to him. I said, Jesus, come in and forgive me. And he did. And, be, and give me eternal life. And he did. And be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. And he did. And if you never have, won't you? Won't you? You can do that now. Or I'd be glad to assist you when we close in prayer. But the way hope gets in us is we receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And when we do, then hope moves into us. The one who is hope moves into us. So are you a Christian? How can we do life with the joyful expectancy that the best is yet to come? Because behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him. The one who is hope has moved into us and will dine with us and he with me. Every day we get to do life with the one who is hope. So going back to Colossians chapter 1, Christ in you, you've invited him in, right? So now the hope of the world lives in you and me, and he's the hope of glory. He gives us that joyful expectancy that the best is yet to come. So how do we make disciples? We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Once you receive Christ, then we want you to understand all that is yours in Christ. Talks about being complete in Christ. We love to say that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I mean, if you look at chair two in the study, when we come to faith in Christ, he answers our big questions. Who am I? We get an identity. I'm a Christian. We get a community. Where do I belong in his body? We get a purpose. What am I here for to follow Jesus and make disciples? We get a hope, right? Where am I going? Where am I going? The best is yet to come, right? For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. So what is our hope? It's Jesus Christ living in you, the hope of glory. It's about Jesus moving in and helping us look toward the future with the joyful expectancy that the best is yet to come. So what then robs us of that hope? What robs us of our hope? Well, our past and our present and our future, right? Now, what I'm about to share with you is something I've taught you over and over again but someone said that Christians need to be taught, reminded more than they need to be taught. 
that we need to be reminded more than we need to be taught, and that's what I'm going to do. And we're going to come to the Lord's table in a little bit. Why do we come? Jesus said, do this in remembrance. Because we forget a lot, don't we? So we do this to remember. So how does our past rob us of our hope? Because we failed, right? And our failures often rob us of hope for the future. But Christ in you means that our failures are not fatal. Our failures are not fatal. We're reading from 1 Peter. Do you know what happened when Peter went places? Peter said to him, why did you deny Jesus? Why did you? What kind of apostle are you? You denied Jesus when he needed you the most. What did Peter do with his failures? We're reading about Paul. Every time Paul would speak someplace, there were people in the audience that he had murdered someone in their family. Who are you to tell us about Jesus? You murdered Christians. Don't we have all, don't we all have failures that, Could, could, could I really be forgiven for, for what I've done? Could I really have a future with my past? Well, what is the gospel? That Christ died for our sins. Which ones? Which ones? Past and present and future. Well, finally, how could he die for our future sins? Well, when he died, how many of them were future? They were all future, right? He died for our sins. He rose. Um, how do we get past our failures? Romans 8. Verse 1, therefore there is now, what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead, and that means we are forgiven in Christ of all of our sins, past, present, and future. Listen, our failures are not fatal. Could, would someone say amen to that? Is that good? Amen. Oh, man, our failures are not fatal. So Christ in you means we can overcome our past. Well, what about the present? Doesn't life seem just futile at times? It just seems so hard. And you know what Christ in you means? That our lives are not futile. Our lives are not futile, but it sure feels like it, doesn't it? I mean, living as broken people in a broken world is hard, isn't it? Are you married? It's hard to be married, isn't it? Are you single? It's hard to be single, isn't it? Are you a parent? It's hard to parent, isn't it? Are, are, are you a young person? It's hard to be parented, isn't it? Do you have a job? It's hard to work, isn't it? Are you unemployed? It's hard to be unemployed, isn't it? And not only do we live in a broken world as broken people and enjoy and experience all the futility that others do, but we're also Christians. And we experience the hostility of a world. You see, we imagine we live in a verse 13 world. We imagine we live in a verse 13 world who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? And so we think, if I do what's right, people are going to thank me and appreciate me, and life is going to go swell, right? That's what we think, right? But we live in what a verse 14 world, don't we? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, but we find ourselves doing what is right and suffering for it. But notice what the Bible says. If you suffer for doing what is right, you are what? You are blessed. You'll be happy. And we say, how could that possibly be? Remember? Remember when Jesus gave the eight keys to happiness? Did you know Jesus gave eight keys to happiness? Remember what the eighth key was in Matthew chapter 5? <clears throat> blessed. See that word blessed, happy? Happy overflowing with joy, 
Happy are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That if we follow Jesus in this world, we will be persecuted, and by being persecuted, it helps assure us that we're really his. Blessed, how happy are those who've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. What does it mean to follow Jesus in a hostile culture? It means we're going to be insulted and persecuted and falsely accused of all kinds of things because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. Suffering is for a short time. The reward is forever, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Listen, you're in good company. You have a good reward and you're in good company. But I think some of us say, nobody could do that. Nobody could do that. So Jesus died on the cross. He rose on the third day. He appeared to his disciples for 40, 40 days, right? And then the Holy Spirit fell right on Pentecost. And the apostles began to preach. And what did they find? Unbelievable hunger. Thousands of people were coming to faith in Christ. And also hostility. They found anger and persecution, didn't they? So we get to Acts chapter 5, and we read, They, the religious leaders, took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them. Can you imagine that? You're doing what is right, and the result is your back is ripped to shreds. Um, do you know how many times I've cowered in front of the sneer? I've been afraid of a sneer, and they were flogged for the cause of Christ. Will you pray for me that I'll be courageous during these times, and, and I'll pray for you? They flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then release them. What are we going to do? What are we going to do when our civil government says you cannot share your faith? What are we going to do? Are we going to comply? Are we? Well, what did they do? So they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. They counted it a joy to suffer for the name of the one who suffered for them. Will we? And they had been commanded, don't speak anymore, don't speak anymore. So do you think they were quiet? Do you think they were? And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They counted it a joy to suffer for the name of Christ. Listen, our lives are not futile. It might seem like it, but we're doing life in a broken world with Jesus, a friend who's with us every step of the way, and he's promised to get us safely home. And listen, he's given us a purpose. He's given us a purpose big enough to suffer for. There's did a funeral on Thursday, a friend of mine died, and um, after people talked about how wonderful the person was, uh, I stood up and I looked out on all these faces uh, that, that, that were unfamiliar to me, but there was one person from our church there, one person smiling at me, and I know I've got one person in the room who's for me. And uh, so I, I crossed over the pain line. After everybody talked about how wonderful he was, I said, you know what? 
we were good friends, and we shared two really important things in common, that both of us are really big sinners, and we have an amazing Savior in common. And then when I went on to share the hope we have in Christ, the bad news of our sin and the good news that Christ died, and how if we believe in him, we could live forever. And I shared with him how important it is that we're prepared to die because we're all going to die. And listen, I gave people an opportunity to, to respond to Christ. And, and then I, after a while, I left, and I'm going out to my car. And as I'm going out to my car, I see this man coming toward me, and he's got a mask on. And you know what's hard with a mask? You can't tell a look what they're thinking, and I'm so arrogant, I really am, I'm so arrogant, I'm thinking, he's coming to tell me what a great job I did. <laughs> I couldn't see his face. And oh man, he lit into me. Here's what's wrong with you preachers. You're always talking about heaven and hell when there's so many problems on earth. And the Christians I know, they're way worse than anybody else I know. And listen, nobody lives like Jesus. You know what I love about being a Christian? I don't have to defend myself. Because you know what? I'm so rotten. My only hope is a Savior who loves me so. And so all I did was agree with everything he said. He says, you, you pastors are such a mess. And I said, we really are, especially me. And, and then he says, those Christians I know, they're just rotten people. I said, yeah, they are. That's why they know they need Jesus. And then he kept saying, and, and no one lives like Jesus. No, And I agreed too. Listen, there is no one like Jesus. But I want you to understand something about the pain line. I could have said just what everybody else said and avoided that. I could have just said, listen, he was good, be good, and everybody goes to heaven. And you know what? No one would have gotten mad at me. But I believe people are forever. And I believe it's either heaven or hell. And I believe it might have been the only time those people ever had the opportunity to hear the gospel. And if it involved me suffering to share with them, it was so worth it. Because I am so thankful that my young life leader drove over here every week from Gainesville and crossed the pain line to rescue me. Listen, we will suffer for the cause of Christ, but Christ is worth suffering for. The futility of life, sometimes it so overwhelms me, I just want to quit. Does that ever happen to you? So I was, so I was reading 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> the last verse about the resurrection. Therefore, my beloved brethren, some of you, man, you're in marriage and it's hard. Uh, you're in ministry, and it's hard. You're, you're trying to reach people with the gospel, and it's so hard. And you're thinking about giving up. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. We need to encourage one another and pray for one another not to give up and to remind each other that our toil is not in vain in the Lord. Because it sure seems like it at times, doesn't it? Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know what that means? It means with our past that our failures are not fatal. In the present, our lives are not futile. And with the future, it means our death is not final. Our death is not final. Have you ever, have you noticed something about COVID? Have you noticed that nobody dies outside of COVID? Have you noticed that? 
Now, what I mean by that is I don't mean any, everybody I know will say my aunt passed away. My cousin passed away. Nobody says they died. But when it comes to COVID, we always hear what, how many people what? Die. But I like the word death because I think we need to know we're going to die. And we're either going to die prepared or unprepared. And what an opportunity for Christians to stand out because we believe that our death is not final. And why do we believe that? Because one day a dead man walked out of the tomb and said we could too. Listen to the hope we have in Christ. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, Paul, he said, if we're a Christian, we can't lose. If we live, it's about Christ. If we die, it gets better. When did Christians get so afraid of dying? To live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Did, did you know that Paul had seen heaven? He'd been caught up to heaven, and he said what's coming is better than what's here. It's not just better, it's much better. It's not just much better, it's very much better. I want to go and be with Jesus. Yet, if I'm here, it's not because there's places I want to travel or things I want to do. It's about fruitful labor for others so I can't lose. Either way, I'm going to win. Do we live like that? Oh, doing the funeral on Thursday. It was so interesting. Uh, uh, there's a body in the room and to see people's faces, there are so many faces in there and people are saying, I can't wait to get out of here and get a drink. They want to get out of there because they want to get a drink and forget they're going to die. Isn't that what the world does? The, dr the world drinks to what? To forget. But Christians, what do we drink for? To remember, right? We're about to come to a meal to drink and remember that the best is yet to come, right? Wouldn't you rather drink to remember than drink to forget? So Christ in you, that's our hope. That's our hope, Christ in you. What is it? Christ living in us, the joyful expectancy that the best is yet to come. We're not robbed by the past, nor the present, nor the future. So, It says to always be ready. Now, how can we always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you? That we need to, first of all, fill up with hope, and then we need to give it away. Well, how do we fill up with hope? We preach the gospel to ourselves, right? And then we preach it to others. Wow. I'm continually preaching the gospel to myself because I want to be a good husband and I want to be a good pastor and I want to be a good dad and granddad, but I fail all the time. So I'm continually preaching the gospel to myself. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Would you like to hear something I really did dumb this week, would you? You ever do dumb things? Oh, gosh, I come back from lunch one day this week, and, and I'm sitting in my car in the parking lot. The air conditioner's going because it's just Brooke in the building, and I need someone else to join me so I can go in the building because I don't want to be in here, just me and a lady, okay? So I'm in my car, and I'm lost in thought, and Steve bangs on my car, and I jump, 
and I get out of my car and I come in, that's about 1.30 and I work for about four hours, it's about five o'clock and it's time to leave, everybody's left and then I'm looking for my keys. Where are my keys? And I think, well, maybe I left them in the car. I get out of the car at 1.30 maybe, I go back to my car, it's still running. The air conditioning's on. But man, it was a cool ride home, you know? And I said, I am so thankful to be a Christian. I can't even keep up with my own keys. How would I ever get to heaven if Jesus didn't save me and promise to get me safely home? Man, I'm so thankful our failures are not fatal. Uh, and that I'm continually struggling with the futility of life. I try so hard and go backwards. Anybody else feel that way? I go backwards in my marriage. I go backwards in parenting. I go backwards as a pastor. Every day of my life, I know less than I did the day before. But I preach the gospel to myself. So I don't give up. Don't give up. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord continually preaching the gospel to myself so that I'm filled with hope. Listen, I'm continually preaching the gospel to myself that our death is not final. I'm going in to do a funeral. It's important for me to be convinced before I try and convince others. Think so? And so I'm preaching it to myself. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Thank you, thank you. So listen, first we preach the gospel to ourselves, and then we preach the gospel to others. I want you to understand what's so great about the gospel is the gospel enables us to connect to anyone. We can connect to anyone because we're so much like them, but it also enables us to offer hope to everyone. Listen, when I meet people who share with me their failures, you know what I can say what? Me too. Me too. Know what helps me with my failures? Jesus does. Jesus does. Our failures are not fatal with Christ. When I'm with people and they share with me the futility of life, how they want to quit, know what I say? What? Me too. Me too. You know what keeps me going? Jesus keeps me going. Don't you want Jesus? With death. When I'm with people and they're undone by death, I say, me too, me too. But listen, Jesus says we can live forever. Let me give you a good question here. Whenever I share with someone that someone died, do you know what people always ask me? How old were they? And what did they die from? We need to ask a different question. When we hear that someone died, let's ask the person, do you think they were prepared? Do you think they were prepared? Because the moment they die, it doesn't matter how old they were. It doesn't matter what they died from. The only thing that matters is whether what? They were prepared or not. So listen, we fill up with hope and then we give it away, right? Now, some of you are saying, but Smiley, people don't ask me all the time about my hope. Uh, people don't ask me. So if they don't ask you, well, let's ask them, okay? L listen for the action step this week. What I'd like to do is reverse this. If they're not asking us, then, then let's ask others this week. Just ask someone this week, do you have hope? I've been doing that this week. It's really interesting just to ask people, do you have hope? 
Maybe someone will ask you, what did you do this weekend? You could say, I went to church. And when we were in church, we learned about hope. Do you have hope? Okay, how about this? Because uh, you're hoping maybe they'll ask you back. Do you think this week, do you think this week in all your conversations with people, it might come up about COVID? Do you think that'll come up? How about, do you think any conversation will turn to how our country is angry or divided or dark? Do you think that might come up? Listen, when it comes up, why don't you just ask the person, do you have hope? And if they say yes, you could say, in what? Or if they say no, you could say, well, would you like to? And then, listen, if they ask you back and they say, do you have hope? Then you're going to say what? Thank you. Yes. And if they say, well, what is your hope? You're going to say, Jesus is my hope. Because with Jesus, I can do life knowing that the best is yet to come. And if they ask you, how do you know that? What are you going to say? Because what? A dead man got up and walked out the grave and said what? We could too. Oh, wouldn't you like to look ahead and see a future where the best is yet to come? You really, really can by putting your faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming into this hopeless world that we could be a hope-filled people. Thank you for living the perfect life and dying for our sins and rising and offering us eternal life, offering us forgiveness and, and life abundant and forever, offering us hope for today, tomorrow, and forever. And listen, if you've never received Jesus, won't you? I mean, he's here, won't you just tell Jesus, I've sinned against you and, and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and be my savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've received him for the first time, won't you mark that on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. And Jesus, I pray for those of us who've received you that we would remember that Christ lives in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And, and this week, when we're overwhelmed with our past, when we're overwhelmed with our failures, may we remember that our failures are not fatal. And then, Lord, as we talk with people who are struggling with theirs, help us to offer them hope, the hope we've received. And, Lord, as we struggle with the futility of life this week, may we remember you live in us. And our lives are not futile. And as we experience that and we hear the futility in others, help us to give you away to them. And Lord, this week, as we think about our own death, help us to realize our death is not final. And then, Lord, as we're around people who've had bad news from the doctor or are afraid of all that's going around them, help us to offer you to them. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.